0: We want the future of this
1: country, we want our land to be free, no pollution, no mine, no gas pipeline coming through our land. All I just want to say is frack
2: off and keep our country clean. You know I've been living there all my life and the mining hasn't done anything for the town. We yeah. want people to fish off the river, swim in the river,
3: and all that, go hunting on the river, camping on the river. The river is basically our way of life. People have had enough of, of mining and the lies that big miners tell about the, the benefits that their industries um, you know, can bring to these communities.
1: Yeah, look, we're greatly concerned about fracking here because we're totally dependent on groundwater. Uh, we just don't have the rainfall here in most of the territory to be able to get any independent water source. <laughs>
4: You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network across Australia. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Jem Rommeld. MacArthur River Mining, owned by Glencore, operates the world's largest zinc mine near Borralula on the Gulf of Carpentaria in the Northern Territory. Earth Matters travelled to Borralula and interviewed traditional owners protesting the mine and plans for shale gas fracking in the Territory in October 2014. The first two voices you heard on this show were from Nancy McDinney and Gadrian Huson at that protest. On this week's show, we're looking into what's happened since then, current concerns and campaigns. Conrad Rory and Lauren Mellor will give us the lowdown, as well as their thoughts on the recent climate movement meeting in Melbourne, which they attended, organised by the US activist and author Naomi Klein. Later in the show, we'll hear from Tanya Hall of the NT Frack-Free Alliance on recent developments and actions to stop the fracking industry getting its teeth around the Territory. First up, let's tune in to Boralula. Uh,
3: My name is Conrad Rory from Boralula. And Lauren Mellor from the Environment um, Centre in the Northern Territory.
4: Okay, so firstly, let's get a bit of a... A bit of background to the issues. Now, last time um, Earth Matters spoke to spoke to you, it was a, it was around last October when there was uh, the global Frackdown in Broolula, a big protest against fracking and against the Macarthur River mine. So, yeah. could you give us a little bit of background on that mine and the issues with it?
2: Well, you know, the issue with the mine is that you know they've been having like they've been discharging heavy metals into the river, and and you know they've nearly. Told us about it, but we had to find out through other sources. But yeah, was, um, last week they um, like last week we got a you know a freedom of information document and you know, showing that the miners had like they've been doing it like discharging metals into and lead into the river, you know, because because they've been you know, like there was cattle being killed, you know, and, and plus the fish is not safe to eat, you know. And, you know, we're just worried about the health of the community and the people who live downstream.
4: Yeah. Has the mine operator, um, Glencore, have they been warning the public about the contamination levels in the river? No. Are they obliged to, or do you think that they they should be putting out public notices or something like that so that people know that they shouldn't be eating the fish?
2: Well, to be honest, you know, the people should know what are they doing up there, And, and, like, you know, because we're pretty much concerned, you know, like we live down downstream from the mine. It's our right to know what is coming down from there, you know, because we've been living off that river for, for years and like fishing, hunting, you know, camping on the banks of the river, but, you know, we we just don't do that anymore because
4: like, we just don't trust it. Yeah, that's such a shame not to be able to trust your own river.
2: Yes, yeah, it's like ever since the diversion, you know, the river has been running slow, uh, running a bit lower and there's not much water coming down because before when I was growing up, um, the water used to flow two ways. You know, like flows out to sea, and then the water would blow, flow back up again. But, you know, as, as well as some water would rush back up to past the crossing, and, you know, we would see that every day, you know, with high tides and, and then low tides, the tide would go back down. You know, it was just a tidal river, but you don't see that anymore.
4: mm the company and the government—they've known about this for at least a year, right? I remember everyone was doing some testing about a year ago, um, and and trying to tell the department about it. Yeah,
2: they knew about it, but they just—you know—they just didn't want to tell the truth. But you know, like no one can stand the truth, really.
4: Yeah, so I know you waited a long time for those freedom of information documents to come back as well, yep. which you know they're—they're they're supposed to be provided by a particular due date, and the government was, what, four and a half months late. Um, what was in those documents, or what did you find out from that?
2: Well, like, there has been smoking, you know, like, toxic smoke, you know, coming from the from the toxic waste rock. And you know, like, it was smelled, like, we can smell it from down Borula, which is 50 caves away. So the things oh, wow. was all the way from the mines to Barula. You know, like, there was a lot of people sitting there, you know, like, sitting around, and that piece, you know, We'd be sitting around and look at each other like, what's that strange smell?
0: Mm. Like,
2: we'd never smelled it before, but, but it was just a uh, sulfuric acid just coming down. You know what I mean? Gencore should, you know, just just put the reactive rock back into a pit, you know, and put a clay just to stop it, like put a clay over it just to stop the, the acid from draining out, you know, and plus the toxic smoke.
4: Yeah, and does that mean that they'd have to stop mining?
2: Well, they should stop mining, you know, and clean up their mess
4: what's their um what's their communication been like with the traditional owners at boralula
2: um well as you can see we've been fighting like you know like trying to stop it but there's just certain peoples around the town you know like like to keep it going but you know obviously it's not a good thing
4: Mm.
2: like because we've got kids growing up there and you know we're we don't want our kids growing up with lead and living with lead like they do in Manisa, you know, like, we don't really want that in Bolivar. Because in Isa, like I see now on TV, they got the living with lead lines. You know, like, we don't want to live with lead lines. We want to mm. live with no lead. Yeah. We want to fish off the river, swim in the river, you know, like, go hunting on the river, camping on the river, you because know, mm. the river is basically our way of life, you know what I mean?
4: Mm. Do you think the, the company is going to clean up the mine when they're finished there well, obviously, we do
2: want them to clean up, you know, put the, put the waste rock back in the pit, you know, fix their problem up and probably do something about the river.
4: Yeah, so they diverted the river to open the mine, is, is that right?
2: Yeah, they diverted the river about, I think, 7Ks.
4: Mm.
2: You know, you can't, you can't really try and play Mother Nature. You can't. You know, they they tried to be Mother Nature and tried to divert something that, that was there running for thousands and thousands of years. You know, you can't go and do that. It's just not right. You know, you can't play Mother Nature. If you do, she'll come back and haunt you for the rest of your life. And they're saying that it's good for the town. And, you know, I've been living there all my life, and the mining hasn't done anything for the town. Pretty much the only thing they've done was built a new bridge,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, like, built a new school, uh, put a new pool, you know. When there's more things they could have done, like, old houses have like, been there since the 80s, in the 1980s. And, you know, people, like, Maybe about 10, 15 people are still living in the houses today, you know, still paying rent in a two-bedroom house, two-bedroom tin shacks. And there's people that are living in a, you know, living in a tin shack, and it's just, you know, still paying rent for it, you know, with no power, no water. So, yeah, mm. it's just chaos.
4: Yeah, so when mining companies come in and say that they're going to make everything better for Aboriginal communities and provide everyone with housing and jobs, it's hasn't turned out to be true for Boraloola, hey?
2: No, it hasn't been true. You know, I grew up there all my life. I'm nearly, I'll be turning 30 this year, so I've been living there, you know, for nearly all of my life. So it's just, just wrong, really.
4: Yeah. And what's the feeling in Borralula about um, the plans for the shale gas fracking at the moment?
2: Well, if they try and come into our country, we'll stop them. It's really dangerous, you know, shale gas and fracking. Like, me and my family, we're really against it. We don't really like fracking in our country because... It's really bad.
4: And um, you've just been in Melbourne for the um, Naomi Klein meeting that was on Monday, bringing mm-hmm. together yep. all different groups from um, from the climate movement and yep. NGOs and unions. Can you tell us a little bit about that meeting?
2: Yeah, it was a good meeting that like we all got together with two different people and consulted about stuff like that, mining stuff and you know, environmental stuff. But it was good to... See other people, you know, like get more support from different people from around. So it was good.
4: Yeah, awesome. And what do you what do you think's next for the uh, campaign against the Macarthur River Mine?
2: Shut it down.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> can <I> say? <laughs>
4: You're listening to Earth Matters on 3CR. We've been hearing from Conrad Rory traditional owner for Borolula in the Northern Territory. His land has been plagued by the MacArthur River mine, contaminating the river to such an extent that food from it is inedible. He's campaigning for the mine to shut down and fulfil its rehabilitation responsibilities, as is Lauren Mellor from the Environment Centre of the Northern Territory. She'll tell us the latest news on the documents exposed by Freedom of Information legislation in which the government concludes that the only way for the mine to deal with the slowly burning acidic waste rock is to backfill the pit and cease mining. Yeah, from your perspective, what's the next step with the MacArthur River mine? So since these
3: um, documents have come out under Freedom of Information, which basically confirm what the independent monitor had been saying for a few years now, Um, that the heavy metal contamination problems were out of control, that they were being deliberately discharged um, into the MacArthur River in violation of the company's waste discharge licence. Those things have come out. We've got um, concerns being raised in internal departmental briefings to the Chief Minister about the acid mine drainage problems at the site. The most um, important finding from those, those tranche of documents has been that the... NT Mines Department agrees with the Northern Territory Environmental Protection Agency and the Independent Monitor and has concluded that the only safe and responsible way to manage the huge volumes of reactive waste rock on site um, is to a uh, complete backfill of the pit, as Conrad said, um, So, and, and to clay cap that, which effectively rules out any future mining at the site. So that's been a huge problem for um, both Glencore and the Northern Territory Government, which has been very slow to act on this. Effective, you know, it's a slow-moving train wreck, Uh, the entire um, development and onset of environmental uh, problems and now public health problems stemming from this mine. Um, Mm. The Northern Territory Government has come out last week uh, in response to these documents and and called for an increased rehabilitation bond Mm. from Glencore, but its strategy is effectively to sit down at the table across from one of the largest, uh, um, you know, multinational miners, operating in the Northern Territory and, and simply ask them for an increased rehabilitation bond when they've shown that they're completely unwilling to comply with the law in regards to its mining operations in the past. Mm. So uh, those negotiations have fallen down and Glencore is refusing to pay an increased rehabilitation bond, mm. which effectively means that the, the, um, the public... The financial public risk is now being shifted from Glencore's operations to the Northern Territory taxpayer, to the Northern Territory government, and we're talking uh, in excess of $500 million to even start to clean up these problems on site. Mm. That's huge, and and unless the government uses the the laws and the regulations that are available to it to pull Glencore back into line and force that increased rehabilitation bond to be adhered to, um, then really it's, uh, it's highly likely that Glencore will choose to cut and run from this project. If you look at Glencore on, on the international market, they've been one of the hardest hit in terms of the slumping commodity prices. Um, it's ha- it got in excess of $45 billion worth of debt at the moment, which is making it very hard to maintain its, its credit rating. It's at risk of it having a junk credit rating mm. um, as a result of the debt that Glencore is now carrying. So really when you look at it and the escalating clean-up costs that this mine site and the the call for an increased rehabilitation bond, unless Glencore is legally held to these requirements, uh, it's going to be very tempting for that miner to to come and run from this project, to leave the cost to to the public. And what we've seen in the Northern Territory in its long history of legacy mine disasters is that the Northern Territory government is simply not willing or able to clean up without the assistance of the mining rehabilitation bond. So that means that potentially these problems become permanent if that happens.
4: Mm, yeah, that's obviously a huge problem for the Broolula community. Yeah. Um, yeah, no wonder everyone's calling for it to be shut down um, because it sounds like there's little prospect for, at the moment anyway, for the for the government to um, use the tools that it's got at its aid to compel the company um, to, yeah, to backfill to cap um, yeah. that p- pile of waste rock and essentially stop mining there. Um, but yeah, it sounds like there's movement on the ground and the people are very much resisting it and, um, you'll be putting forward that petition today. Yeah. So perhaps now it's up to, up to people power.
3: I think it is. And it it really has been, uh, you know, the community of Boralula in particular that has that has tried to hold this mine off for for decades now. You know that has opposed the worst aspects of the expansion um, program, which included the river diversion, mm. um, which which everyone, bar the government of the day, could see was going to end in environmental disaster. And and here we are with this, with a mining company that has been non-compliant with the rules since for its entire operating history, um, been allowed to uh, allowed to operate outside of the law. Um, and now we end up with a huge. Um, a huge rehabilitation liability that, that's likely to be handed over to to the public um, mm. and a miner that may walk away uh, potentially with a bit of reputational damage and that's just not acceptable when you're looking at when you've got governments arguing that we're reliant on the revenue from mining operations to fund public services and, and insisting that uh, that rather than the government providing services in communities like Boralula, um and mining, mining uh, reliant communities, they're allowing those Um, those miners to have a huge say over the day-to-day operations of service delivery in those communities and really holding those communities to ransom. Um, When when issues like this come up, when the community are strongly protesting and opposing any continuation of mining here, um, they face the the threat and the prospect that that vital services will be withdrawn. Mm. So it's a huge challenge um, and one that can only be met by government accepting their responsibility um, and their obligations to service these communities in the way that they do with any other Australian community. So, I mean, yeah, there's, there's some real issues here. There's some real public health and environmental issues um, and there's some real issues of justice and I think that's what came out of um, these meetings uh, over the weekend was really to get um, a lot of solidarity and national support um, from those organisations, including organisations that are working on issues to do with the climate, on extractive industries and their impact and looking at, how to transition away from reliance on damaging extractive projects like mining mm. um, and build new economies that meet the needs of, of people and, and planet. So um, so that's really the, the flavour of what came out of this weekend was those partnerships starting to emerge where um, those kind of groups are saying, look, if we are serious about, about stopping damaging extractive projects and particularly now this new fracking threat in the Northern Territory, mm. um, protecting our clean water, protecting our right to access collective natural resources that support all communities, um, then, then these partnerships need to address the, the fundamental issues of justice at the heart of, of you know, imposed mining and, um, and the starvation of resources to remote Aboriginal communities.
4: This is Earth Matters, produced on Wurundjeri Country at 3CR Radio and broadcast across these stolen lands we call Australia on the Community Radio Network. You just heard from Conrad Rory and Lauren Mellor speaking to us from Darwin on the day that they present 3,000 signatures to the Northern Territory Chief Minister, Adam Giles, calling for the closure and rehabilitation of the disastrous MacArthur River mine at Borralula in the Gulf of Carpentaria. Listen up now for an interview that 3CR producer Anya Anderst did with Tanya Hall of the Northern Territory
0: Frack Free Alliance. So tell us a little bit about what's been what's been happening up north, and um, more specifically, your reaction and the NT Frack Free Alliance's reaction to Adam Giles's comments about needing a massive gas pipeline from the Northern Territory of New South Wales to the East Coast, uh, and also his insistence that there is an impending gas shortage and a crisis.
1: At the moment, there's some exploration for shale gas in the Northern Territory. It's estimated that there's about 200 um, cubic feet of shale gas that could be accessed, and the Northern Territory government is really keen to cash in on that. They're planning to build a pipeline that will connect the Northern Territory with those East Coast gas markets that you just mentioned, which will um, enable companies that mine for gas here to then easily export that gas, um, but essentially open up the territory for large scale shale gas fracking. So we're greatly concerned about that, and particularly so because um, the Northern Territory government, and particularly our Chief Minister... um, Adam Giles, really uh, rampaging ahead with the proposal without looking um, really thoroughly at it in terms of the economic basis for it. And last week, a report came out from the Australia Institute, which is an independent um, think tank, policy think tank, um, which actually pulled apart a lot of the economic myths that um, the government has been um, perpetuating about that project.
0: Yeah, and in that report, it... Um the research kind of showed that there was an overstatement of the value of the gas industry to Australia and the Territory um, and really downplay, downplaying the environmental impacts and costs to other services, um, the kind of economic modelling the APPA has said is unrealistic and, and the NT is assumed to be the first to capitalise on the projected supply of gas on the east coast. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's not really, that's not really the case according to this this report. I wanted to ask you, so one of the things, so this it's called the North East Coast Gas Interconnector, um, which is a proposed pipeline. Uh, exporting fracked shale gas from the NT to the East Coast gas grid. Um, So this North East Coast gas interconnector, um, the cost of actually putting it in hasn't really been... Adam Giles hasn't really included that in some of the costing. Is that right? Well,
1: the government is saying that it's actually not putting any money forward. It's for the private sector to put the money up front for it. But there was actually $9.2 million that was um, allocated in this year's budget to drive um, private sector development around the pipeline. So there is a significant amount of governance subsidy for that pipeline, absolutely.
0: Mm. Yeah, and um, in that report, um, I kind of found one of the funnier things about it. Um, It said, another surprising assumption is that the North East Gas Interconnector pipeline will build itself. It says there is no capital expenditure assumed in the modelling for the Nagy pipeline. Um, So, yeah, there's obviously going to be some economic shortfalls um, with that project. Um, But kind of more on the environmental impact side of things, could you tell us a bit about why um, NT Frack Free Alliance is against fracking in the Northern Territory? Yeah, look,
1: we're greatly concerned about fracking here because we're totally dependent on groundwater. Uh, We just don't have the rainfall here in most of the Territory to be able to get any independent water source. And fracking has been associated with Water contamination in the U.S. Uh, so we're really concerned about that. Also, just around, I guess, the large-scale um, devastation of the environment that happens. You know, we've got a really strong tourism industry here, which is dependent on these, you know, arid environments and, um, I guess, you know, the plains and everything um, that are, you know, really largely um, uninhabited and quite pristine. And so, we don't want this whole area to um, to become filled up with fracking wells. We're also really greatly concerned um, about the impacts for climate change. Um, Unfortunately, fracking isn't as green as it's made out to be and it can um, produce a lot of greenhouse gas, which will exacerbate the impacts of climate change. Living in an arid environment here, that's going to have a really significant impact on us.
0: Mm. And I
1: guess the other side of it that doesn't get mentioned as much um, is the health impacts that communities living near gas fields are starting to see so both in the U.S. and also here in Queensland, in Surat Basin, where the gas industry is most established in Queensland, communities living near those gas fields are starting to see a host of, um, of impacts that have really only come out um, since the gas companies have come in and, and fracking operations have started. So that's really frightening. because Here in the Territory, gas wells can be built up to fifty metres within living areas and we do have a lot of people that live... Remotely in average communities or outstations, so we really don't want to see um, those health impacts on those communities.
0: Absolutely, um, and one other thing that I kind of wanted to speak about was the fact that Adam Giles is saying that uh, the this onshore gas deposit um, that it would give it would create jobs.
1: Yeah, look, he's making a lot of misleading claims. I mean, really interestingly, one of the other things he says is that the pipeline is. Not about fracked gas. It's about um, our existing offshore conventional gas reserves. He said that at a meeting recently with some of our alliance members, and then on um, the you know a couple of days later, um, when he spoke to that um, top-end business lunch, he was making the statement that um, that pipeline was for fracked shale gas. So he's really um, yeah making a lot of misleading comments, and the employment potential is one of those. I don't think there's been any proper modelling around what jobs this industry would actually create in the territory. Looking at the experience in South East Queensland, where the gas industry is most established, um, there were some jobs that were created um, for local people, but those jobs were largely short-term, only for the construction phase. What happens is a lot of people are, are put on to help build and then a lot of people are laid off and um, and a lot of the skilled ongoing work is actually from fly-in and fly-out workers and really a very small amount of ongoing positions because it's a highly mechanised industry. So there's a lot of claims that he's making about training for local people in remote communities and I don't think there's any basis whatsoever to those claims looking at the experience where the gas industry has gone ahead in other jurisdictions.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, are there any other concerns that you have with the NEGI project?
1: I think largely it's that the impacts of opening up the um, territory for um, large-scale fracking and and that expansion of um, unconventional gas industry, because that will bring about all of those potential health and environmental impacts that we've just talked about so mm. really we don't see I, I, we don't see that needs to go ahead we think that the investment that um, the government and taxpayers are making into the pipeline should be put into renewable energy um, we've got a great capacity out here for solar which would keep jobs local so really we, you know our concerns are not just on environmental but also on economic and community basis and we just see that it's it's quite um, an unfounded um, project, really, in terms of the economic claims.
0: If you'd like to
4: stay connected to the NT Frack Free Alliance, please head to their website and sign up for email updates at allthews.dontfracktheterritory.org. Thank you to our guests discussing the campaign led by Borroloola traditional owners to shut down and rehabilitate Glencore's MacArthur River mine, Conrad Rory and Lauren Mellor. And thanks to Anya Anders for that interview with Tanya Hall of the NT Frack Free Alliance. The music you've heard today is sounds from the Boralula Frack Down protest in October 2014. And up now is Nabaya by the famous Boralula musicians, The Sandridge Band. This has been Earth Matters, produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast across this country on the community radio network. Thanks for listening. I'm Gem Rommel, and we look forward to talking at you again next week.
3: And the song, the song will really come from the land. Well, that when I was singing
1: with all my, my crews from Wandongolo, Sandry, Sandry, and it's called Ngabaya. That's our grandmother country from Kalalagindaway, and right down to the mouth, to Madrini.
0: That's where the song would uh, come, Ngabaya Dreaming Travels Through.